If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. We've been in a series on discernment. We took a break last week. We're continuing today, and actually, we're closing the series today. Next week, I'm going to be starting a series on the Ten Commandments, and so we'll be learning about the Ten Commandments. One of my goals is that by the end of the series, you would know what the Ten Commandments are, and so uh, (laughs) that'll be a start, all right? We know what the Ten Commandments are, and then we are living into the reality of what does it mean for us to, to live them, not just live them in a Old Covenant, Old Testament kind of a way, but as renewed people through Jesus Christ, what does it mean? What does the Ten Commandment mean for our, our lives here? And so we've been focusing, however, on discernment. And I want to encourage you, if you're new to our congregation, if this is your first time here, there are a series of messages given. And so uh, if you want the greater context of what this means, I want to encourage you to check that out. Uh, two weeks ago, I taught a class for two hours here that's recorded, and it's on our YouTube page as well on discernment. And so if you weren't able to make that, that's available online as well. But this is coming to a close today as I talk about what does it mean to step out in faith and risk. These are the things that we've been talking about. When, we're, when discerning God's will, there are five layers, at least five layers, opening ourselves to God in prayer, listening to our heart, inviting wise counsel, using your head in terms of prudence, what we talked about two weeks ago. And then today, at some point, we have to make a decision. What does it mean to step out in faith, to risk, to trust in the Lord as we make a decision. That's what I want to focus on today. And so our text is Matthew 14, a very familiar passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly after dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, now give us revelation and illumination. Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that we would receive every gift of the Holy Spirit this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... 
Amen. Throughout this series of the sermon, we've been returning to two fundamental core questions as it pertains to following Jesus in this world. The first question is, what do you think Jesus is saying to you in this season, at this point in your life, in the context of the challenges and opportunities you are facing? This is a question that should come up multiple times in our given life, multiple times in a given month, multiple times in a given week. Lord, what are you saying to me? At this point in my life, in the context and challenges and opportunities I am facing. But beyond that, and as equally important, a question we need to be asking when discerning God's will is what indicators give you some measure of confidence that it is indeed Jesus speaking to you rather than someone or something else? And these two questions are important because there might be no greater task for the Christian than to discern and do the will of God. There might be no greater issue before us than to discern and do the will of God. And throughout this series, I've been talking about three kinds of people, three types of people that come to mind when we have this conversation on discernment. The first uh, type of people are people who are always discerning, but never deciding. You're always thinking about it, always praying about it. Are you going to do it, yes or no? I'm praying about it. Well, it's been three years, brother. Are you going to do it, yes or no? I'm praying about it. Some of us are always discerning, but never deciding. Then we have people that are always deciding and never discerning. We jump into any old relationship. We jump into any old opportunity. We decide a lot, but we don't discern. But what we want to be are people who decide from a place of discernment. And the emphasis today is on decision. At some point, we have to move from discerning to deciding. When we think about the various scenarios before us, there comes a point where we have to make a decision. And so whether you're wondering, should I purchase a home or should I continue to rent? Should I sell my home and move into a smaller space or should I stay where I'm at? Should I homeschool my children or put them in public school? Should I go into a particular major, this major or that major? Should I be involved in this ministry or that ministry? Should I find a good nursing home for my parents, my aging parents, or should I take them into our home? Should I retire or should I keep on going? With all of these scenarios, at some point, we have to make a decision. And many of us fail to make decisions because of fear. What if I fail? What if it doesn't unfold the way I envision it? What if, what if, what if? It reminds me of something I saw last year. We often have a hard time making a decision and we end up stuck, paralyzed, refusing to move forward. Last year, I saw a, a video, a small video done by the New York Times about something that took place in Sweden. And the short film was entitled The 10-Meter Tower. It appeared in the 2017 Sundance Film Festival, and the goal of the film was to make a portrait of human beings in doubt, human beings experiencing some form of fear and the ways they respond to this fear. Now, the 10-meter tower is actually a diving board. 
And 10 meters is roughly the equivalent of jumping from the, the window right here out into the water downstairs and the, the ground there into water. That's 10 meters essentially. And so they filmed the responses of people who would choose to dive or choose not to dive. And I wanted to show you this one clip of someone who had a hard time diving. Check out this uh, video here. I give. of you are diving? Let me see your hands. Let me, let me see the hand. How many of you are really diving, okay? How many of you are not diving? You're like me. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Thank you. I, I, I'm not even going up the stairs, <laughs> let alone going up there. And for many of us, when I looked at that, I thought, what a metaphor for our lives with God. Many of us are analyzing and we are paralyzed, refusing to step out. Some of us, we just dive. And sometimes the, the, water's not, the, the pool is not even filled with water, and you're just, just jumping off. They don't know what you're jumping into. And then many of us are standing there paralyzed. And so when we look at our passage this afternoon, it really is a great summary of our series, inviting us to discern the will of God, and at some point, trusting him to take the dive. Now, this passage begins in a very familiar setting. The disciples are yet again on a boat. They're always on a boat. If the New Testament was written in New York City in 2019, the scene would probably be on the subway. We're always on the subway. But 2,000 years ago, they were always on a boat. And here they are on a boat, and in verse 24 in the New Living Translation, it says, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. This story serves as a great metaphor, a great analogy for our lives. We're on our boat and storms and winds and waves come. We can't see anything. Ever been there before? You, it's raining. You, you, you forgot your umbrella. You have your glasses on. You can't see anything before you. The disciples are in a boat. 
and turbulent waters have come on the scene. The storm is a metaphor for disorientation. The storm in Scripture is a metaphor for confusion. The storm in Scripture is a metaphor for spiritual warfare. And as they are in this situation, Jesus draws near. I want you to hold on to those three words. Because you might find yourself in a storm. You might find yourself disoriented. You might find yourself confused. And in the midst of whatever storm you are facing, we are encouraged today that Jesus draws near. He's near to you. You might not be able to see him, but he is near to you. In verse 24, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, a couple of things just in this one verse, it's important to see. Jesus is near but he is hard to discern. It's shortly before dawn. It's still dark outside. And here is the conundrum of all Christian faith. Jesus is near, but he's often hidden. He's near, but we can't truly see him. He's near, but he is hard to discern. This is the conundrum of our lives in a nutshell. And so he walks towards them, And as he's walking towards them, they see what looks, appears to be a man walking on water. And they are terrified because they think it's a ghost. And so if I'm in that boat, I'm rowing even faster. I'm rowing, get me out of here. My problems were just wind and waves. There's a ghost coming after me now. And so I'd be just, get me out of this place here. And so they're having a hard time. Jesus continues to pursue them. They are terrified, and their anxiety and fear is understandable. There are stories in ancient times about the sea that would make them scared in a moment like this. The sea in ancient times was the dwelling place of evil powers. It was the dwelling place of evil forces. It was the dwelling, dwelling place of what was called Leviathan, the, the sea monster that they would be scared of. I imagine the disciples as little boys watching movies about Leviathan. And every time they got on the lake, they had this little fear from time to time. My worst fears might come alive. And here they are, scared to death. It reminds me of my days in college. As a kid, I would watch horror movies as a kid. I don't watch horror movies anymore. But I used to watch Friday the 13th as a kid. I would watch Nightmare on Elm Street as a kid. I don't know where my parents were, but I was watching these movies. And those movies and images are etched into my subconscious. And one of the things I always noticed that which fascinated me about these movies is that these killers always show up in the woods, (laughs) never in the hood. (laughs) You never see Jason on Queens Boulevard. (laughs) They're always showing up in the woods. And so here I am, a college student. I find a house off campus, and I move in with three friends near the woods. (laughs) The first night I'm there, 
I unpack my stuff and notice that my three friends are stepping out for a couple of days. Now, they had no, three white friends. They had no problem with the woods. They were just, they were comfortable with it, but they're leaving me. I'm going, where are you guys going? I wait, no, no, we'll be back in a couple of days. And so I'm by myself in this little red house by the woods. And so 11 o'clock comes. I'm already anxious. I'm already, what was that sound? I'm hearing stuff. What was that? I look out, see trees, just shaking my head. I'm going to die tonight. I'm going to die tonight. <laughs> 11 o'clock, I'm watching television. And I hear three knocks on the door. Boom, boom, boom. I'm thinking, this is it. <laughs> I am dead. And so I slowly walk to the door, shaking. And I open the door, and there's this man disoriented. He just hit a deer. His car is all messed up, and he's shaking. And I'm thinking, this is how, this is how I die anyway. This guy's going to kill me. He's going to borrow my phone, and then he's going to kill me. He needed a phone. It was 2000. He didn't have a phone. He needed a phone. And so I'm thinking, he says, can I use your phone? I'm like, ah, uh, and so I, as a good Christian man that I am, I'm like, the Christians are going to die early. This must be early in the movie, too. I'm going to die here in the movie early. I give him the phone. He makes the phone call and all that there. But I was shaking. My worst fears are about to come true. Now, what's fascinating is, listen, I grew up in a neighborhood where I hear gunshots all the time. I still eat my pizza and just be fine. <laughs> but three knocks on the door at 11 o'clock by the woods, I am shaking <laughs> to death. These disciples are on the lake, scared to death. They see what looks like a ghost coming after them, and it says they are terrified. Now, what's interesting is Jesus keeps walking to them, and I always wonder, why does Jesus walk on the water? And I think beyond just he couldn't rent a jet ski, beyond just that... I think there's something theologically important that's happening here. That by Jesus walking on water, which is the source of evil powers, Jesus is letting his disciples know, I have authority over every power in this world. While you're worried about the water, I'm walking on the water. And so take courage. If you are experiencing a storm, Jesus Christ has authority Over every storm that comes your way. He walks effortlessly on the water. And the first words that Jesus speaks are words of assurance. He tells his disciples, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, in the original language, the word it is I is not just it is I. It's take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus is very intentional here. In the Old Testament, there was an encounter that Moses had. Moses had an encounter with God in a burning bush. God says, let my people go. Moses says, if I go, who's gonna, who should I say sent me? What's your name? And he said, tell them I am. That I am. When Jesus shows up on the water, he's letting his disciples know the God that you read about in the Old Testament is standing before you right now. Take courage. Take heart. I am. 
Do not be afraid. This is God's word to all of us today. And whatever you're facing, the Lord says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus calls out to them. And it is at this point where his disciple Peter gets an idea. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. I don't know what got in Peter's mind to ask this question, but he asked, and that Peter is always this impulsive guy. Peter's the guy where Jesus is being arrested. He takes out his little dagger. He cuts off a guy's ear, just like that. Peter's always ready to fight. He's, already, he's always ready to dive into something. He's impulsive. And in here he goes, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. Isn't this the heart of discernment in a nutshell? Lord, is it you? This is the question here. This is the entire series in a nutshell. The entire series in a verse. The entire series of what I've been talking about in a simple question. Lord, is it you? That's what discernment asks. Is it you? Lord, are you in this relationship? Is it you in this opportunity? Is it you in this job? Lord, is it you? And we need to do the job of the hard work of discernment. And this requires us to, to be, have a life immersed in the Bible. It requires us to have a life immersed in prayer, a life that takes seriously the, the desires of our hearts, our consolations and our desolations, a life that holds community together, inviting people into our decision-making process. It requires us to do the hard work of discernment. Before you dive, you need to discern. But Peter has already somewhat discerned. He's asking the question, and Jesus, Lord, is it you? And Jesus says, come. Now, notice, Jesus doesn't say, yes, Peter, it is me, come. He just says, come. If I'm the disciples, I'm saying, he didn't say his name. He didn't say it. This is a trick. Don't go, Peter. Do not do it. He just said, come. He didn't answer the question. Jesus just says, come. And Peter says, I'm going to do it. Peter seems... To know the voice of Jesus. In the midst of a storm, in the midst of waves, could you imagine how loud it must be? The waves. Jesus, Jesus has come. Come! It must have been a loud, I don't know, but Peter knew the voice of Jesus. Isn't this the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to know his voice? Jesus would later say that my sheep know my voice. The sermon is about training our souls to hear the voice of Jesus. And this is why we are known as sheep in the Bible. Now, I imagine many of us might have a hard time being called sheep. When you think about them, they're not impressive. They can't fend for themselves. They're not fast. They're actually pretty dumb. They wander into all kinds of stuff. And the, and, and the Bible calls us sheep. That's who we are. And so sheep might be unimpressive. They don't have the best personality. But sheep have one thing going for them. They know their master's voice. In Middle Eastern times, today, 2,000 years ago, if you see a shepherd with his flock of sheep, 
and there's a watering hole, there could be multiple flocks of sheep gathered by the watering hole and the shepherds don't have to say, wait a minute, keep my guys on one side, keep your guys on the other. They go amongst each other and when it's time to leave, the shepherd calls them and they know his name and they just get in line. This is what I want from my life. This is what I hope you want for your life, that I am so sensitive to the voice of Jesus, that I have so trained my soul to hear him, to distinguish his voice from the voice of others. This is what I desperately long for my life, to know his voice. Peter at that moment knows his voice and he gets off the boat. And here it is, the moment where Peter moves from discerning to deciding. Now, we often stay in the boat because of fear, fear of failure, fear of risking embarrassment, fear of the unknown, but faith, he knew the voice, did he know with full certainty there was an element of risk with Peter, and that's, that's what faith is. In faith, there is no absolute certainty in faith. There is an element of Doubt that we have to now trust. That was, that's what faith is. Will we trust in him? Now, many of us, we don't make a decision until we are absolutely, unequivocally certain that this is what I need to do. And if I, if I don't get super clarity on it, I'm not doing anything. And what we end up doing is worshiping certainty as opposed to worshiping God. There was a person who came to Mother Teresa one day asking her to pray for him. This is captured in a wonderful book by Brendan Manning called A Ruthless Trust. And in this story, this man comes up to Mother Teresa and says, can you pray for me? And she says, sure, how can I pray for you? He says, pray that I would have clarity in this decision. We've all asked for that. Lord, give me clarity. And in that moment, I don't know to what degree she knew the man, if this was a prophetic word or so, but she said, I will not pray for clarity for you. I would pray, I will pray that you have trust, that you will trust in God. Many of us, we wait, I need clarity, I need clarity, I need clarity, I need clarity, I need clarity. And at some point, God is saying what you need is trust. And so Peter gets out of the boat. And what's so wonderful about this, it says, he walked on the water and came to Jesus. There are only two people in human history who have ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. That's a short list. Jesus and Peter. And it's beautiful because who knows what God has for you when you choose to trust him? Who knows the amazing miracles God wants to do through you when you choose to trust him? Who knows the abundance and the peace and the joy and the power and authority that God has for you when you choose to trust him? Peter begins to walk on the water. I imagine his friends are shocked. They can't believe their eyes. And then something happens. 
You would think that the story would end. Peter walks to Jesus on the water. He reaches him. They walk back together on the water. They get back in the boat. The, the credits roll. It's just, this was fantastic. But the story doesn't end this way. The story says that as Peter starts walking on the water in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Listen, Peter discerns the voice of Jesus very clearly and sinks. He's in the center of God's will and sinks. I've heard people say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. This is misleading at best. No one was more in the center of God's will than Jesus. And he ends up on a cross crucified. What happens when you heard correctly and you still sink? What happens when you hear correctly and the marriage still crumbles? What happens when you hear correctly and the business still fails? What happens when you hear correctly and you lose the job? Many people don't want to make a decision because what if these scenarios happen? I'd rather not make a decision. I'd rather not risk at all. Where, where do you go when you heard God right and you still mess up? I'm so happy the story doesn't end there. What, what happens to Peter? Well, Peter heard correctly. He discerned the voice of Jesus correctly. He still sinks. But the good news of the gospel is as he's sinking, immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. You might sink. You might hear and it doesn't unfold the way you want. You might hear and things might not be as good as you think. And you might feel, I am sinking. But brothers and sisters, hear the word. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. He's strong enough to lift Peter out. And he's strong enough to lift you out of whatever sinking situation you find yourself in. Here Peter is. He's having a good time. He sinks. Jesus grabs him. But before Jesus grabs him, here's the important word that Peter says. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and lifts him up. His arms are strong. I'm reminded of Psalm 40 that says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry pit and set my feet on solid ground. Whatever sinking situation you find yourselves in, when we say, Lord, save me, immediately Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And he may not save you in the way that you want him to, but he will save you, rescue you. Pull you up out of your sinking situation. Peter says, save me, and Jesus grabs him. Now, this story is about discernment for sure. We hear God's voice. We listen. Sometimes we make a mistake. Sometimes we fail. We hurt correctly, and yet Jesus lifts us up. 
But the story is, in addition to that, really a snapshot of the gospel of grace. This story is a snapshot of Christianity at its core. Because no matter what good things you do in the world, no matter what good things you accomplish, no matter how morally righteous you are, sooner or later you will sink. Sooner or later you will fall. Sooner or later we will lose our way. And as we find ourselves sinking, this is the gospel of grace. Our sin has brought us under the waters. But a simple, Lord, save me, can lift us right back up. For some of us, it is our sin that is making us sink. And when you say, Lord, save me, he offers mercy and forgiveness and grace. For some of us, it is the situations of our lives that are so difficult that's causing us to sink. And when we cry out to them, to the Lord, he gives us grace and strength and endurance. But the key is, Lord, save me. This is the heart of someone who God wants to shape and form. Lord, Save me. I can't pull myself up. I need a power outside of myself. Lord, save me. The question I have for you is where are you in the story? Where are you on the boat? Refusing to go anywhere? Have you heard the voice of Jesus say, Come? And you are at the edge. Are you, maybe you're walking on water right now. Things are happening great in your life. Or maybe you're sinking. Where are you in the story? Regardless of wherever you're at, all things lead to these three words. Lord, save me. Let's pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes. And as I do, I want to have our prayer team just come to the front here. Some of you, you're sinking right now. Your sin has gotten the best of you. Depression, anxiety has weighed you down. Your fear. And maybe you're at a point today where you just need the Lord to rescue you. Maybe you're already a Christian. You still need the Lord saving. For some of you not Christians in this room, The Lord wants to raise you up, pour out grace and mercy on your life. Lord, save us. In a given week, we sink. We sink because of despair, fear, addictions, and yet, our sinking doesn't have the last word. The last word is held by Jesus, the one who saves us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your strong arms of grace and mercy that lift us up. 
And Lord, you want to lift us up, but it requires us to say those words, save me. And so today, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, help us to say those words, Lord, save me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing for five, six minutes or so. And our prayer team is here. And maybe you find yourself in the boat, in a situation, and you just need prayer. I want to invite you as the worship team leads us in, in song, we want to pray for you. We want to extend the hand of Jesus that our hands in some way would be the hands of Jesus holding on to you. And so as we sing for the next five, six minutes or so, if you sense the Lord stirring you, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Let's sing together. You are my strength. Strength like no other. Strength like no other. Reaches to me.
prayer team will be here um, as long as we need to pray for you. I want to invite uh, whoever's going to offer the bread and the cup to come forward as well. And when we take the bread and the cup, uh, our sister Wilda will be offering that. When we take the bread and the cup, we are taking what represents to the world great failure. Jesus Christ dying on the cross of the world was utter failure. A Messiah crucified, that's failure. And yet to God, it was the greatest moment of victory. When we come and we take bread and dip it in a cup, we are reminded what often feels like failure might be the gateway towards victory through the power of God. And so our prayer team is here, whatever you need. Our sister Wilda will offer the bread and the cup if you'd like to receive it. And you can come forward there. But as, as we close, I want to invite you to lift up your hands towards heaven. Now, in the past uh, three weeks or so, we've uh, just needed to uh, rearrange this room a little bit to prepare for events taking place here. And so uh, if you could help us by just grabbing a chair on this side and bring it to the wall. Uh, that'd be really helpful. And on this side, grab a chair, bring it to the wall. That'd be really helpful. And our prayer team will, will still be here to pray for whatever need you have. Um, but as we close, we, we end with our hands in a posture of receiving. This is a hand of receiving. It's openness. And this is the way we want to close the sermon series. Lord, we're open. Lord, give us a heart of openness towards you. To go where you want us to go. To do what you want us to do. And so, with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God. May the Lord bless you and keep you.
make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a new courage, new strength to trust, new grace to risk. May you discern the voice of Jesus. And after you've discerned, may the Holy Spirit empower you to make decisions for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of this world. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the saving name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.